This week on episode 17 of the Catching Up Podcast, we're talking about the season two finale of Westworld and what that reveals about privacy. Seattle startup Saucedo is shutting down. We talk about some of the lessons we learned from their experience. And do you think subscription is a possible solution to rideshare companies with Lyft and Uber? We end the show talking about what we think are the most important parts of pitching your company. This is episode 17 of the Catching Up Podcast with Connor and Nick. Please enjoy the show. Nick, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing really well. This is uh, week 17 of the Catching Up podcast. I can't believe we're this far into the show already. Crazy. Yeah, it's what, crazy. What are, you, yeah. what are you up to? How's your morning going? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. I'm sitting on my deck overlooking Lake Union. And it's actually a, a beautiful, beautiful morning. So uh, yes. enjoying, yeah, enjoying the weather. How's that morning routine going? <laughs> it's going well. Uh, didn't fit all of it in today. Uh, usually the, the mornings after a Founders Live here in Seattle is slow moving to start with. So, um, but the great thing about, you know, my morning routine is usually most days I'm, I'm, you know, going through it and, you know, get my workouts in and whatnot. So I have some quote cheat days so <laughs> yeah you you gotta always mix it up and with working out like you just don't want to be putting your body through that every single no, day no because uh, i've got yeah. i've got some days to to chill and relax and today was one of them so yeah man so how was the after party for founders live uh went well man it was just a great night last night uh we were you know you were there but we were at uh, hard rock cafe in seattle and there was you know packed house for sure and it, it went really well. It was a great event. And, and then uh, we carried on to the Elysian Bar and, yeah, had a great time. So um, it was really, really fun to see all, all the people. Man, there was just a ton of people out last night. Yeah, the turnout was fantastic last night. And I just thought the venue um, was so cool to have. Mm. It, it just felt so official. Right? And, and yeah. I've, I've been to concerts there and seen big time musical acts at that venue so to like see you on stage and see everyone presenting it really like had this legitimacy put to it right it was just very different from doing it at a co-working space it just felt it 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 felt uh like like a big production well it's good yeah there was a ton of great feedback on it and um i enjoyed it and obviously everyone uh enjoyed it and it did I, I need to now recon well not reconsider but just I'm taking this into you know in in into consideration of how we want to move forward and I think they're always you know the the event should be at co-working spaces that's kind of how it works with the communities uh n- not only in Seattle and other cities but um how do we incorporate some kind of bigger venues going forward is something to consider so yeah it's just an all all Yeah so let's talk about some of the companies that presented last night um, and did anyone stick out to you, um, uh, besides the winner? Cause I know we're going to talk about the winner. Yes. Well, let, let's go there. So Everly was the winner and she's building in, in more or less, you know, the wedding space. And, um, you know what I thought her pitch was great. It was very concise. It was, um, you know, she was very buttoned up in, in that sort of thing, but, Basically, if you go to their website, everlywedding.co, um, it says wedding planning disrupted 
all the personalized support of a wedding planner at a fraction of the price. And, you know, look, I've not gone through a wedding yet, uh, but I can tell you that, you know, just from the people that I know, my friends and whatnot, it's, it's a, just, you know, we're talking about a big thing. It's expensive. It's, you know, stressful. And they're really coming in and, and trying to help, make it a more affordable and easier experience. And obviously that there are major players in that industry, but they're, they're looking to, you know, work with them as well as disrupt that space. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I also, I thought, you know, Bitloom is, that was the last presenter. Uh, she is building out a live streaming uh, platform and, you know, we're, we're kind of working together on some things. Um, and so that's interesting to me as well as, you know, how do you innovate around the live streaming um, uh, in industry? And I guess I would just say this, that one thing I don't know if she fully made a point or clear enough last night, which is, you know, traditionally we've been, we stream on Facebook or if you stream on any sort of like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, the thing is this, that, that video is there. It's ephemeral, right? It's there. People can jump in and watch it live. But then it just falls through the stream. Mm-hmm. It just goes. It just goes. It basically gets buried. And so what she's doing, and yes, there's YouTube and you know uh, YouTube channels and whatnot. But what she's trying to do is help companies and people like Founders Live and others that want to not only stream and reach people and have an easy way to um, to have it present online, but like easily findable later and have a channel and have like a, a, a well put together place where you can go access it later. Yeah. Because if you just choose to use Facebook live, it's gone. And, and there's not a lot of ways to organize those files and um, have it, you know, searchable later, like literally searchable. You, you actually, it's hard to find if you search on Facebook to actually find a video to search it through like the, contextual search yeah you're totally right so so you know there's the areas that she's innovating around as well so th- those two companies in my opinion were actually like interesting yeah and and related to a bitloom the the search is a big factor because even youtube really struggles with that and instagram coming out with their tv channel it is going to have the same issue right because mm-hmm. you're only limited so much screen space so that search capability is very important um here as technology moves forward and the abundance of video that's on there. But yeah, I, th- I thought Everly was really interesting, kind of overwhelmingly won the vote. And I, I didn't catch, I assume they have a background in wedding planning. You know, I don't, I don't know her exact background. Okay. Uh, but, but in the end, like, you know, I, I would assume so that there's some, some familiarity, obviously. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I asked the question of like, okay, well, the thing is, this should it's it's kind of a one or two times a a life type of experience. <laughs> yeah. So h- how how do they plan on making this something that can scale and reach you know millions of people when it's, it's something that doesn't happen very frequent in people's lives? So I think that they need to figure out how to navigate that. But um, outside of that, you know, I, I think it's an it's dude the wedding industry. You kidding me? You know how much money is in that? Yeah, it's disgustingly expensive <laughs> and so much going on, and there's there's a lot to do. So the software makes sense. It's just extremely yeah. competitive. I yeah. don't I don't think finding customers is really going to be the big issue because there are so many weddings that are constantly going on, 
And then what happens is after some one person or one uh, man or woman plan their wedding, they are usually so much more committed that when all their friends get married, the referral game is so important in that industry because yeah. because it's so much about trust. You just need something that's going to get taken care of. So if they get a couple customers who really love it and it gets the job done for them for, I think, the $750 price, then that name will get passed on. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I think kind of any technology company in the wedding space is – is setting up for mergers and acquisitions. It's just the way it seems the industry mm-hmm. has gone. And so there's, there's so much opportunity there. Oh, I totally agree. So um, one of the points that I was listing on here to talk about today is actually, um, let's just slide right into this, which is, uh, in your opinion, what is the most important uh, part of a pitch for when someone's on stage at a, at a Founders Live event or even just at like a cocktail party or whatever, like uh, what do you think is the most important part of the pitch and what really absolutely needs to be included from a standpoint of someone pitching you or describing their company? For me, the part that I'm most interested in that doesn't necessarily need to be in the pitch, but the part that I'm always going to ask the question on, and and I've talked about this, I I feel like as a theme throughout this podcast is how are you going to make money? Cause mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I just, that's, that's just the whole investing and startup world with not driving revenue kind of blows my mind a little bit in, in, in how we've gotten here. And I understand why, but, but how you make money is a very important thing to me kind of getting, uh, should we say my respect and like, Oh, like you've actually got something legitimate here. But as far as like a pitch goes with, especially within the context of founders live, Showing that there is a problem and backing it up with data that is that is relative, right? By saying the wedding industry is, a, I'm throwing up a random number here, right? A $1 trillion industry just doesn't mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, where do you actually fit within that $1 trillion? And what are the issues that people are having? So like with, with Everly, I, I assume there's some type of story about how they got there, but there are a few different pieces of software that are doing very similar things. And then there's obviously the physical people. And so that was, that was my only like real issue is like, is there this big glaring need that wasn't being met? Um, but, but in the space that they're in, it's still a wide open space. So, so no one's necessarily like come in and won that space yet. Um, So showing that there's a problem and it's a legitimate problem and there's a decent amount of people relative to the revenue it's going to drive to use it, I think is the the biggest piece of any presentation, but you're, you're the pro. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. I, it's, I've, I've probably heard, you know, hundreds, if not thousands now. And um, yeah, I would say that it's kind of going off of what you're saying, which is like, tie it tie it to a problem or need in the world and and help me understand why I should care and I guess what I mean by that is there like people can pitch their companies with a lot of data and like the technology and basically they they lead with the solution and they don't lead with the problem Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a big mistake and a lot of 
especially a lot of more technical, technical inclined people just want to talk about what they built and, and like the details of that. But if you, if someone does not, if you don't tie in like, Hey, here's, here is the problem. Here's why you should care. And here's a fundamental emotional underpin of what we're trying to solve in the world. Then to me, it's like, you're just talking like they're, they're, you're not, you're not bringing it personally to me or you're not like illustrating that you're solving a problem. So I think that that, that is actually more for me, it's more important than quote, how are you making money? That's the follow on question. Obviously like, look, is this going to be a sustainable business or whatnot? But yeah, man, like I have seen so many pitches where like a minute 20, a minute in or a minute 10 or 20 in, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. like, well, what do you do? And why should I care? <laughs> yeah. And like, that is a fail. Like, if you fail in your 99 second pitch, if you haven't, if you don't have the people saying, Oh, that's so good because I have that problem too. And I would love to use this app or this service to help me with that problem. And so I think that that's the challenge of crafting your pitch is how do you tie it to the, the emotional human problem that people have in the world? Yeah. And I think that's what makes it relatable because even mm-hmm. if, even if you don't have that problem, there's a chance that you know someone who has that problem, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, like my friend Sally was planning her wedding and she really struggled with the organization and the management of the wedding and she fired her wedding planner and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, she, you know, she did it on Trello and, and made it her own. And so <laughs> um, one more thing about Founders Live, another woman-owned business won the pitch. So the street, Dude, the street continues. Street continues. That's six in a row here in Seattle, isn't it? It's awesome. That's so awesome. All right, so let's jump on to the next topic. So I want to talk about uh, this article here on GeekWire that came out this week about Seattle startup Saucedo. And mm-hmm. Saucedo, the, the reason it struck me is because I, I almost felt, at least in Seattle, these guys owned Twitter. They were all over Twitter for the last couple of years. I constantly saw their live streams and they're creating content and, and you know, doing – what it looked like the right things on Twitter to get engagement. However, uh, they are shutting down this week. And that mostly comes from the way that Twitter is providing data to third-party consumers. And so the engineering team is joining the company, I believe it's called Azuqua. But for those of you who don't know, Sacedo in a really short term was a social sales lead generator. So it would use data from Twitter to find the right people that you can connect with uh, that might be potential customers. And so based on this article here, just talked about how um, the APIs and automation rules were changing on Twitter, which forced them more or less to shut down their company. And so Nick, after checking out this article, and, and I'm not sure if you you know these guys or not, but what, what are the lessons that we're learning from this situation? Yeah, so I I do know Asim, uh, the CEO, and we will be meeting up next week to to more or less go over this. Um, so maybe next week I'll have a little more information. I don't, you know, I don't want to talk too much um, of the personal stuff, but he, um, you know, there I, I would just share the same thing. Like you know, they were Asim and and Cito in general was always like kind of up up and to the right from what I knew. But the thing is, they all, a main part of their business was attached to a platform 
that I guess the way I would describe it is it's very, it's, it's difficult and challenging to attach yourself to a platform to run your company that you fully depend on that platform for the data or the access or the reach or distribution. And if that ever goes away, then you're in trouble. And I think that that Sacito in the, in, in the end found themselves, basically the rules were changed on, you know, Twitter. And so, you know, Asim sent a tweet a while ago, um, a couple weeks ago, where it was like, Twitter is cracking down on bots and automation. Facebook is taking a stricter stance on data usage. The ability for social media marketers to take shortcuts to engage their audience is going away. And here's how to do it the right way. So he links to obviously an article of what, or whether they wrote it or whatnot. But the point is, you know, you know, when, when you're building a business based on an, a third party platform that provides data or reach, and if they cut off, if they cut that off, you know, you got to figure out another way. And it looks like they just were like, Oh shoot, you know, what do we do? And it, you know, in the article, it says their revenue took a dive in the last two to three months. And, you know, they, they really just couldn't continue. So, um, you know, I think that that's the lesson. And I'll, I will admit, you know, Founders Live is a, we right now, founderslive.com and our platform, we use a third party for our community and our platform. And, and, that, and that's something that I acknowledge. And I'm looking to, you know, uh, essentially solve that issue over the next year to two years. But um, whenever you put your your company hands or your company in the hands of a outside third party service, whether that's the data or the code or um, the reach and distribution, it's it's something that you need to very much understand and and mitigate through other decisions. Yeah. And so many companies are in this. I mean, my company's in this. Like I depend so much on Instagram. And the reach that it gives me there. And as they change it, you know, I've had to evolve and try to catch up. And and it's it, it's going to be a lesson that so many of us are going to experience over, over the course of our careers. Because this is just the current state of technology and companies. And there's only a few companies who now control the majority of the consumers and the reach. And so we're everyone's going to be building on top of these, and and it's going to be a very interesting race as platforms change and evolve, and there's shutdowns and acquisitions about how um, gritty founders are going to be to find solutions quickly when you know the floodgates open or close on them, and, they, oh, exactly. and they've got to make changes. You know, I think just yeah, the, another lesson here is just um, have have, you know, you know, plan A and B and C and have those either working concurrently or at least in the background. But, you know, be very aware if, you know, if, if your company is building upon Twitter or building upon Instagram or whatever platform you want to say, just know that always have a contingency plan for what happens if this stream of data and access is shut off. That's it. And, you know, like, I think that that should be a lesson. You know, you're let's say you're a vlogger and you're on YouTube. Well, what happens if YouTube shuts you down or you're, you know, PewDiePie and you say something wrong? And the next day they say you can't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a serious thing. Like, your business is totally cut off. So understand, 
the mitigate that through other, you know, having other channels and, and kind of spaces to operate in. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of plan B, I know you, uh, let's talk about your second topic here and their plan B. Yeah. So I, I found this article really interesting and this is not the first time that this has come out around ride sharing, you know, Lyft and Uber creating more of a subscription model. Um, obviously, the way it works now is whenever you want a ride, pull out your phone, open the app, hit the button, you take the ride and you pay, you know, 10 bucks, 15, 20, whatever. Um, it looks like the Lyft is trying to move the direction of, you know, some subscription model, which you would consider like uh, Amazon Prime or whatnot. You know, Connor, do you think that this is I from a, I guess from from a business standpoint, obviously, the best situation is you build a huge subscription business that people are paying consistently, whether they use it or not. But as a consumer, do you think this is the future of Lyft or Uber? And would you would you pay, let's just use a number, would you pay 20, 30 bucks a month to have a more consistent, like paying a subscription model to get rides around your city? Yes, certainly. And I actually was got the subscription and used it for Uber. This was months ago. And I think what it was is it was like a 10 or $20 flat fee. And then I got locked in on Uber X rides and um, I'm blanking on the, the car Uber pool. And mm-hmm. the, the Uber pools were like 250 and the Uber X rides were like $5, obviously, to, right. a, to a certain distance. And I absolutely loved it. So it, the, it, mo- the model was, you're saying that you paid a, there was a kind of a flat rate per month, and then you got a massively discounted rides. Is that the way it works? Correct. I think they, yeah. they took $20 up front, and over the course of the next 20 rides, I assume, that it, it probably all ended up being close to the same. But because they capped it, I think it was like I got twenty rides over the month, capped at two at two fifty or five dollars, mm-hmm. whatever service I chose to use, and that made me use the services way more. Because at at two fifty pool rides, I was riding the bus, and I was like, oh, it's the same price for me to ride the bus, and most of the time it's a little bit faster, so I'm just gonna pay the money there instead. However. Uh, I had it for, I think, two months that I used it, and then they stopped offering it to me. And then I stopped using it altogether, <laughs> like the, the app. And so they kind of didn't lose me as a customer. But once I got that service, my opinion of the value of the service changed. I didn't go back. I actually was like, I, the higher price turned me away more from the service. Because once you pay a certain price, it's really hard to go back to a higher price. And so I'm skeptical that financially in the long run, they can make these subscriptions work. There's just not a lot of companies that make the subscriptions successful. I mean, MoviePass is losing money. Amazon Prime, there's even though they have right 10 million customers or whatever it is, I don't think Amazon Prime makes money. And they have all these other services that float the company and all these subscription boxes from food delivery to clothing delivery. None of them are like all that 
like profitable. And so I'm really skeptical that this could work. I think it's a good like promotion to get you to be a power user for a month or uh, six months or whatever it is. But I don't know if it's a long-term sustainable model. Yeah. I, I would share that opinion that I think, you know, you really, it all comes down to unit, unit economics and um, in one way, a subscription, you know, things like Spotify and Pandora and others, which by the way, that brings a whole nother element of they're paying. They, they literally have to pay for that content to then serve to the person. Um, so there's a lot of cost to, you know, music royalties and whatnot. Um, but when you look at, you know, when you, when you look at the unit economics of a ride share, I mean, they have to, I mean, we're talking about someone, a human being up until that's not the case <laughs> in that, which is in the many years in the future, but you know, there's a cost to that person earning money to drive the car. And when you look at if at full co- at, at full usage, a subscription model actually doesn't make sense from a business because you do have hard costs from the human being earning. And now, you know, from the human being driving the car, they're not actually making, well, theoretically, they're not making the X per drive, you know, the drive that took 20 minutes and they make $30 for that 20 minutes. It's a different economic situation now. So I think, I think in the end, if you want to dive in the details, it really seems interesting. I would agree that it's, um, seems to be an interesting marketing concept employee, but I, I don't see it being something economically that works for all sides. I think in the end, it's going to come back to the same old pay X per the ride and the driver gets 70% of that. The company gets 30% and everyone wins. And everyone like wins. That, that seems, yeah. to, seems to be what I think is going to be the end result. Yeah, I agree. All right. So off to the last topic here. And it's about one of my favorite shows on HBO, Westworld. And so, Nick, I don't think – you're not a Westworld watcher, are you? Oh, uh, yeah, I am, dude. Oh, you are? Okay, good. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Love it. Okay, excellent. And so you finished it, right? I didn't, like, spoil anything with sharing this article? No, no t- totally totally finished it. No spoiler. And I'll simply say, um, yeah, it's, it's an intense show. It's uh, – you know, I, I've read a couple things where, you know, there, there's kind of two sides of the coin – some people would think the second season was like they were stretching and, you know, it was some I've actually read some people thought it was kind of a boring second season and they really just tried to like throw in some things in the plot. I personally thought it was um, the second season was way different than the fir- the first season. You're like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. It's it was hard to keep track of like what's going on. Who's who, um, you know, with hosts and guests. And it's still in season two. You're like, wait like what's the deal like is that a guest or is that a host um but dude in the end what what you're suggesting here is um yeah the scary part of season two is really about the how they're they're pulling the data and and actually like there is no privacy and um i'll let you describe a little more about your thoughts real quick and by the way i have about you know two you know three three four minutes so we don't have too much time to to spend on this but uh i i would agree that i think it's an it's a it's a mind fuck in my opinion. Yes, and so if if you're listening to this podcast and you don't want to spoil, you should just fast forward through the podcast right now. <laughs> but yeah, it comes out that the the park is taking the DNA of 
every single person, making copies of them and kind of storing it and using that data against them. And it's just so relevant to what's going on with all of the data sharing and privacy and GDPR, all these things that are happening. It was just a crazy way to come to the conclusion of the show and for it, you know, Westworld up until this last like two episodes seemed very, not far-fetched, but far in the future. And this was the first moment where it was like, oh, wow, this like this is closer to home than we've actually realized. Because, I mean, I've done 23andMe. They have my DNA. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got millions of people's DNA. And so these kind of things are much closer to what's going on than not. And, yeah, it was a super confusing season. It took <laughs> – each week I was kind of just, like, reading up on trying to get the synopsis so I could keep track of who's who and what timeline and where we are. Uh, but when it came to the conclusion, I was, I was just shocked. And anyone who's, if you're still listening to this, hasn't watched it, I mean, you should invest the time and check it out because it is, uh, it's just a wild ride. It, yeah, it's one of those like, oh my God, like, and, and are we there yet? I'm not sure, but you know, it's, it's, it's insane. I think that there's underlying stories of like, you know, playing God and how, you know, like creation and and then manipulation and then yeah like you know privacy issues and what does that mean and then you know ai intelligence and you know self-awareness and consciousness like dude all that is there and so um what's challenging though is there's a time continue like you notice in the show there's a future and then there's a not so future if that makes sense. Yeah. So there is, there's like, it's hard to know when they, they, they kind of uh, go back and forth from a, and literally the same characters are in a different time period, whether it's 50, hundred years forward and then back. And yet you're like, wait, I don't get it. Like, where are they in the timeline? And so that's trippy to me because it's hard to keep track of what's going on. And then secondly, Um, And then I'll just tie up with this, which is, you know, the human flesh, they they can recreate the human flesh. So they like literally manufacture a body. But then the data with that ball, which is in the the mind, is like the there's the data. Essentially, they've like they've shown that mind and body are separate and they've got the data in the mind and that little ball that can be implement implement planted into the get or the host but then the body they just manufacture another one so when like a a a host gets shot and dies the human or the body dies but yet the data is still there yep and you just got into a whole nother body it's crazy right so anyway um dude i i do need to get going so um this has been awesome. It's a great conversation, man. Yep. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening to week or episode 17 of the Catching Up podcast. Uh, check out Nick on founderslive.com. Shoot us a message there or on Twitter. And we will see you next Friday. All right. See you, Connor. See you, Nick. Mm-hmm.